0: Hi everybody. So I'm taking the back seat today. I'm going to moderate this session, and Daryl, my colleague, my partner, in some expert, he's going to own it today because Microsoft agreement negotiations is entirely in his area of expertise because he's been doing this since 1998. Yeah, long, long time ago. <laughs> well, and before that, he sold those contracts when he was working for Microsoft. We're going to kick off, Alex. You want to bring up the first questions? Microsoft is actively pushing us towards E5. Many clients are not the side. <laughs> how can we get the most out of it? Shall we do this? Any negotiation tips? The main question here is, if Microsoft is asking us, why don't you switch to E5? Can we ask something in return and how?
1: As you said, it's a very common question. And Microsoft, as we know, are pushing most clients or everybody that they can upgrading them from E3 to E5 when renewals are coming up for organizations, even not even renewals, just part of the annual true-up process. Microsoft is conducting discussions around moving organizations midterm from E3 to E5. And it's very simple why. They get compensated. There's higher compensation for the sales reps on E5 than on E3. Actually, E3 compensation has dropped. And you must always ask yourself when somebody's pushing a product, why are they pushing it so aggressively? It's all about compensation. So, yes, absolutely. If you've been pushed to E5, you need to ask yourself, first of all, one main question. Do you actually need it? Before you get into the negotiation side, what can you actually get in return? Do you actually need E5? Not because Microsoft's saying it's the best and greatest and we've got this incredible offer now that's not going to repeat itself. Offers always repeat themselves. Believe me, You can come in six months, 12 months, that great offer will still be on the table. The reason to move is if you have a need for those additional capabilities, usually around security. First, look into your requirements. Evaluate if you actually are going to use those components, those additional components that you're receiving, and what can you remove from your IT infrastructure from a security perspective. Look at what third-party products those E5 components are going to substitute. What is the benefit? Again, security-wise, cost-wise, maintenance, implementation, everything needs to be looked at. And only then take a decision, is it good for your organization or not? If the answer is yes, it's good for my organization, that's fine. Enter negotiations. But you want to get something in return. And usually what you want to get in return is, of course, higher discounts. You can get a higher discount on E5. It's not rocket science. The way that you should position it is, well, there are multiple ways. One would be, well, I don't need E5 now. I'm only going to be needing it in 12 months. How are you going to compensate for 12 months of paying but not receiving value? In a discount, there are various ways to compensate. Maybe your rollout is going to be very slow. So look at your rollout over the next two, three years. You might be rolling out E5 components per segment, per department, maybe per subsidiary. Multiple reasons, why not? Maybe it's a global company. Use that as leverage to get a discount, to compensate for the time that you have shelfware. That's another reason. Maybe you need support because you're going to be changing a specific product that you have in use and you don't have the skill set. So ask Microsoft for either architecture support, professional services, or monetary compensation to bring in a partner, a third-party partner. That's also a so-called discount or compensation. So look at everything, put it on the table, spread it out, and then start asking Microsoft for benefits. So that is my best practice around E3 to E5. Don't be pushed to E5 only if you really need it. The best offers that Microsoft put on the table that are limited will come back next year because that sales rep still wants that higher compensation for E5. So no pressure end of year, no pressure end of uh, fiscal year, your calendar year. Take it easy, sit tight, but have a look at it. One more point, E5 doesn't suit the entire organization. You need to look at alternatives. Usually if you're going to E5, you're going for security. Look at maybe taking either components of E5, if you don't need the full package, or maybe looking at personas. Maybe you have personas that only need the F3 that also has certain security Components that come in E5. So you can differentiate and you can play around with various personas, various packages. Also, a really good way to negotiate. You might actually not need that, but you can position it as a negotiation leverage. To my opinion, I always believe in personas and multiple bundles. So you can use that as part of your leverage and discussion as well. So don't just run into E5, E3 to E5. Look at everything, and you're actually in a very good position to negotiate. Thanks,
0: Daryl. While you were talking, I was thinking. You said, switch to E5 only if you need it. From a pure negotiation perspective, would you actually still advise not to disclose that you need it? Because that would certainly undermine your discounting position, wouldn't it?
1: Yes, that's a very good point. My recommendation is always to start off a renewal with E3. So if you have E3, start off the negotiation with E3. Push hard for an E3 proposal. Because if you start with E5, you're not going to be able to step back to an E3 proposal. They just won't provide you with that benefit. So always start off with the lower option and slowly move up. I would even start off with E3, add in one component, two components, and then let Microsoft make it
0: really, really worthwhile for you to take E5. I tried linking my EA negotiation with our Azure Mac, and the results were not what I thought. Why? I'm afraid you will have to explain to the audience what Mac means and how it works.
1: Basically, a Mac is where you're committing upfront for mainly pay-as-you-go services. So what Microsoft is happy to provide large organizations with is if customer can't commit to reserved instances and you want that full flexibility of pay-as-you-go, then please commit upfront and we'll provide you with a substantial discount. For that three-year commitment, it's a three-year commitment. And Macs are very commonplace in large organizations. I'll call the Mac a Azure agreement. And you have your EA agreement. You can look at it as an Azure agreement for three years, very similar to an EA, just on Azure consumption. You're committing every year to meet a very specific consumption level, consumption from a monetary perspective. So if you're committing a million dollars, you committed a million dollars. If you don't reach a million dollars, you've thrown away money. That's basically the whole concept behind a Mac. You would think that if I've got an EA here for a million dollars a year and I've got Azure requirements for another million dollars a year, I can actually negotiate them together and maybe if I'm committing a million one hundred or million two hundred on my Azure estate, Microsoft will give me another two, three, four, five percent on my EA. No. Microsoft is very, very reluctant to join or to combine a negotiation with the two agreements. They like look at it almost as two different companies. Oh, this is your Azure commitment. We can't help you on your EA, even if you do increase your Azure commitment. And it's the same on the EA. If you willing to move from E3 to E5, we can't compensate you on the Azure. It's a different compensation model, discounting model. We have tried, to a certain extent of success, okay? I'm not saying it's 100% because there's always variations. To a certain extent, we've tried to combine negotiations by bringing in EAs and Azure. It's tough, it is tough. You need to be really, really smart about your positioning. And I'll say that you have to be really assertive because the first answer you're gonna receive is no, it cannot be done. And you'll hear that again and again and again. You need to have a fallback position for Azure in order to maybe build up some leverage and maybe even a fallback position for your E5 to E3. So you need to be really smart about it. You can't just say I want this and I want this and Microsoft knows that you're already committed to E3 or to E5. You committed on your EA. Sorry guys. This is all subscription. You can't walk away. You are a long-term obligated customer of ours. You can't walk away from an EA. On Azure, if you've already pre-committed your workloads and Microsoft knows about it, why are they going to compensate you on the back end of the EA for it? Even on Azure Max, they're not going to be happy to compensate if you've already pre-committed. You really need to plan ahead on, first of all, what you want to provide, what information you want to provide Microsoft, what alternatives. Don't forget, there are alternatives. Don't enter into a negotiation without an alternative. You have to have GCP, you have to have AWS, Alibaba or something else on the table. So it's very, very tough to combine the two, to negotiate the two together. You need to have alternatives for both and you need to be big enough and the deal needs to be, let's call it, lucrative enough so the end result is that the sales rep is going to get highly compensated The majority of the compensation is going to be on azure and not on the ea because compensation is
0: different we have a question from the audience how come it is called pay as you go which is supposed to be based on your consumption if there's a commitment required
1: pay as you go is basically higher tier of payment i call it the payment tier when you're committing to pay as you go it's a contradiction the ea is a commitment so when you're going to pay as you go you've got the flexibility to move your workloads wherever you want to do, wherever you want, and you have that technical flexibility, you're actually paying a premium price for that. And organizations up until, i say a few months ago, haven't been very conscious about costs. The only way for them to keep that flexibility and to reduce costs, because the difference between reserved instances and pay as you go, watch it, Alex, 72%, 70%, it's massive. But like the reserved instance option confined you to a very specific workload, so to say. Pay as you go gave the flexibility. So Microsoft has been very smart about saying, oh, you want to have that flexibility and you don't want to pay that premium price you want a discount of. It could be anywhere between 10 and I want to be careful what I say because it depends on workloads. It can go all the way up to around 30% plus minus, maybe more, depending on the size. You can say that I said that, but it's not going to help you because you need to have the right leverage to get those high discounts. But Microsoft is going to require a commitment. Microsoft loves commitments because then, first of all, they've got predictability. And the account rep, it's all about the account rep. The account rep knows exactly what's going to be coming, what's coming in every single year. He's meeting his quota. It always goes back to what your account rep is compensated on. If you understand that, you can turn the entire negotiation around and then you have the leverage. Great question. There's another question. What if Microsoft doesn't want to show us real ERP discount for E3 and E5? Says that we have to decide at the ERP level which variant you want and only then they will apply to the businesses for a discount. ERP is estimated retail pricing, the standard price list. The way that it works for everybody is that Microsoft has multiple price lists. They actually just announced that they're making changes to their regional price lists. They have prices in euros, in pounds, in dollars, in the US dollars in various countries. So basically the way that it works there are four tiers if you're looking at an EA. Okay, I'm taking a simple enterprise agreement. Level A, level B, level C, each one's a tier. Between each tier there's a certain difference in pricing, anywhere between 3 to 5% between each tier. So if you're starting at level A and you can actually go to level D, there's like 18, 20% difference, plus minus, depending on the price of that specific product. Basically, Microsoft is obligated to provide you with formal ERP prices. Microsoft, not talking about the channel. The channel can do various stuff if they want to really play dirty. But Microsoft is Microsoft. I've never seen them provide an ERP price that is not list price. So There are companies out there that will uplift the list price by 10-15% and then give you a discount on that. And then they'll say, well, we gave you this huge discount. Aren't you happy? Where actually it's not a real discount. Microsoft have never done that. I've never seen that. And if you've seen it, I'd love to hear about it. But I've done hundreds of contracts and I've never been in a situation where that's been the case. So they always start off with ERP. So you know what your baseline is now again. The level A, B, C, D depends on your side of your organization. There are tiers, 500 to 2,500, 2,500 to 7,000, and then 15,000. And then you negotiate a discount. And I'd say that again, you can always negotiate a discount, even though discounts aren't as high as they used to be,
0: it's still negotiable. So I hope that answers your question. You mentioned that Microsoft likes separating Azure negotiations. With EA negotiations, so let's play it differently, different teams, different negotiators, different Microsoft employees compensated for them. And then we also have unified support. And in my experience, and in your experience too, now we work together, the unified support team is a completely different team. They don't depend on EA. The EA team doesn't depend on them. They have their own sales targets. And to be honest, when I first encountered them, it was about five years ago, I actually felt like they have no clue what they're doing. How do we leverage unified support contract to get a better deal with EAs? Is it possible, even
1: I'm going to say that very simply. You can leverage it, but it's going to be the other way around. The benefits for signing your unified support won't come through the EA. It might go the other way. So there are ways to play around with it. First of all, you need to remember, as Alex said, it's two separate, let's call it, groups within Microsoft. Your commercial group that is providing your enterprise agreement with your Azure consumption commitments is not compensated for unified support. They couldn't give a, sorry, for if you sign or don't sign or what you take. The unified support team couldn't give a what you do on your enterprise agreement, but Your unified support cost is linked to your enterprise agreement and your Azure spend because it's built on a percentage of your actual commercial obligations. So the more you pay for an EA, the more you pay for Azure, you're going to be paying in the back end a higher price for unified. The best practice is, first of all, yes, they need to be separated. Okay. They are negotiated separately. Microsoft won't link them. The good news is that you can negotiate better pricing on Unified. There are ways to reduce costs substantially. It's dramatically overlooked by organizations, but we've been very, very successful in the last 12 months using some really cool tactics around how to reduce Unified support by reducing it by hundreds of thousands of dollars on contracts by an average of 15 to 20%. And definitely, If you're looking at alternatives and you're looking at changing the tiering of percentages that you're paying on your EA and your Azure consumption for your unified support contract that can also be modified, pricing on professional services that also go into your unified support contract, the bigger picture, can also be discussed. So a lot to be done on the unified, but very difficult to link the two together. Alex, by the way, did we publish that unified support white paper on our website yet?
0: Is it there? There's a very long article on our website, someexpert.com, in the article section, which is dedicated to Unified and Premier support. Obviously, Premier support is gone, but we still keep it there to explain the differences to those who are still switching. And Daryl rewrote that article about a month ago, completely. Added lots of other sections. It's actually a pretty big article. One of the most visited articles on the website. Read that. Very good article. How to approach the issue that M365 licenses up a user? Technically, if one user has two accounts, he needs two licenses. Why? doing its licenses for one user? We get this question a lot. There are no enterprise agreement commitments that are based on user accounts and AD. You may have security considerations around those accounts. But there's one thing I need to tell. I used to work in a company that was a half system integrator, half software asset management, and I kind of know how things work from the other side. If somebody has two accounts, there must be a reason for it. Some reasons are impossible to circumvent. And then in that case, you end up with two accounts. You can do nothing about it. But normally, if somebody needs multiple accounts, it's for admin reasons, for maybe accessing certain applications, then why do you assign a license to each of them? Assign it to one account. So we need to understand more of a context here. But what I'm trying to say here is don't begin with that thought that every user record Every user account needs a license. It's not like that. Obviously there's a risk. If you use a quite popular feature in Microsoft Office 365 admin portal, auto assignment of licenses, you create a new account and it immediately gets a license. It's actually tunable. You can fine tune it. Then, yes, still you have a risk that your license may be assigned to the wrong account. But every organization has a reason to have a number of users with multiple Active Directory accounts. It's fine. It comes down to policies. Your commitment to Microsoft on an enterprise agreement is to license all qualified users, not active j 3 accounts. Start from reviewing your policies. And that's it. It's not a non-compliant situation.
1: Just reading in the corner of my eye, another question that came up. A company of around 5,500 licenses, E3 plus others, is a big player for Microsoft in Europe, question mark. Yes, it is. It's a very nice size company in Europe. It's mid And from a leverage perspective, what you can negotiate, I'm sure that you can negotiate with the right people in Microsoft. It always comes down to negotiating with the right people. You definitely can position yourself as a strategic negotiator and get some substantial discounts and other benefits. So yes, to your question. If you were in the US, I would answer differently. So thank you very much, Alex. Thank you very much for the participation and for the questions. I love this interaction. I love hearing from everybody. We've got another half a dozen questions at least that we didn't manage to address today. We'll come back to close off all those questions that we didn't manage to answer today that we received prior to this call. Again, thank you, everybody, for taking your time. Alex, again, it's always a pleasure being on our Q&A sessions. It's always fun. And uh, see everybody next week.
0: Thank you very much. Yes, Bye bye. And by the way, click like if you haven't yet. Thank you. I appreciate that.